Hello and welcome to Are We There Yet? MarketScale's online video podcast series that explores the most exciting things happening in transportation today. My name is Grant Harrell and as your host, I'll speak with the voices of today's most exciting companies and projects, uh, identifying truly what's at the cutting edge of transportation technology today. Past topics within the Are We There Yet? series have included head-to-head autonomous vehicle racing, your own personal air taxi service, drone delivery to the comfort of your own backyard, and how about ride sharing for kids? Never have to hear Are We There Yet? again. So today's topic, uh, very excited to speak with the co-founder and CEO of Spartan Radar, one of the most exciting companies in automotive technology development today. So Nathan, hello, and welcome to Are We There Yet? Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Grant. Really excited to be here. Very good. Well, thank you, Nathan. We very much appreciate your time and are so excited to hear about all of the uh, projects that you have going on within Spartan Radar. I uh, have been following your company for some time myself, and so uh, very excited to learn more about uh, some of these technologies and, and products that I know that you're uh, working on very hard. And so falling within the theme of the Are We There Yet series, I uh, would love to learn from you, Nathan, radar system technology solutions for the automotive industry. Are we there yet? Yes. I think the short answer is yes, uh, from the standpoint of what we call ADAS systems, which is automated driving assistance systems. That's, you know, if you go back to the, the, uh, the taxonomy of how autonomous vehicles are classified in terms of level of autonomy from level one to level five, uh, right now we're in level one to level three. And uh, kind of the best way to think about these things are level one is a warning. In other words, that's like your automated emergency braking warning that you get in your car where it lets off an alarm saying, hey, you're about to hit somebody. Or, you know, the, the lane keeping warning that my wife's minivan has where there's a little, um, uh, you know, a blinker on my, my side mirrors that says, yep. hey, you know, there's a car in your blind spot. Don't turn into it. So blind spot detection. Um, and then level two is where it actually intervenes, where the car will actually prevent you from getting into that lane or not. And then level three is where you kind of have semi-autonomous driving. So probably the best, you know, there, there's products out there on the market today. You have Blue Cruise uh, from, from Ford super, in the Mustang, uh, yeah. Super Cruise with Chevy, and then Mercedes now has fully autonomous driving. And of course, you know, there's full self-driving in Tesla, which is sort of a controversial topic depending on who you talk to, right? So yeah. those systems are starting to roll out today. Full, truly fully autonomous driving is honestly probably five years away in most ODDs like what you would see in passenger cars. The reason why I started kind of this high level is that the level of autonomy that's going into the vehicle is going to dictate what the radar can do, right? What the radar needs to do uh, and the other sensors on the platform as well, right? So it, it's important to kind of keep a system's context. You know, when we, um, my background, I came out of aerospace uh, engineering and, uh, you know, the, the first question we would always ask when somebody said, okay, we want to build a radar is tell me more about the platform and what it's supposed to do, right? So we have to think about it in the context of what the market is, is doing today. And I think for the next three to five years, it's primarily going to be those level one through level three autonomous systems. And then level four, level five fully autonomous systems will probably start to roll in gradually in different ODDs or, you know, use cases, uh, operational design domains over the next few years. Um, you know, the technologies that we're seeing are things like automated emergency braking, lane keeping, blind spot detection, uh, which primarily lend themselves to what's called 1D non-imaging radars, right? Okay. Uh, and then the imaging radars will come in uh, starting to kind of become applicable with that level three 
uh, autonomy where you need to be actually be able to discriminate between things on the road at different distances. And then uh, for level four, level five, it's essential, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the kind of technologies that we're seeing, a tremendous amount of work has gone into, and, and in this way is actually automotive is done faster than what I saw in aerospace, uh, into making the systems more monolithic, trying to make, uh, you know, both the processor and the trans transceiver elements fit on a single chip, right? So that that chip can then be mass produced by tens of, in tens of millions of units by TI and Finion, NXP, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're able to put that into radars, which, you know, there's the, the about six or seven players right now that are probably about 80 to 90% of the, the ADAS radar markets. So that's your okay. active continental, uh, uh, ZF, uh, et cetera. Right, that are that are out there and are, are uh, you know, consi- you know, uh, uh, Valio, Hella. Sorry, <laughs> make sure I include everybody because these are all yes. customers. Thank you. Um, you know, th- those guys represent you know 80, 80 plus percent of the the total available market for these uh, for these radars today, and they're primarily focused on things like I said to to assist those ADAS systems. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, we're kind of going through an evolution there from things that are just basically a blob meter that says, hey, there's something out there 30 feet off your bumper. I don't know what it is to actually being able to discriminate it to say, hey, that's a pedestrian. That's a cyclist. That's a truck. That's a that's a motorcycle, et cetera. And to actually be able to tell things like, uh, you know, lane lane, uh, uh, you know, lane sharing when you have a motorcycle and a truck going by. So that's kind of like the state of the art of what's going into systems today or in the next couple of years. And then the imaging radars, which will have the, when we talk about imaging radars, what we're really talking about is, is 40 point clouds where Mm -hmm. you're able to tell, you know, uh, not just range and azimuth, but also elevation resolution and um, uh, velocity resolution as opposed to just time of flight, which is what a lot of the previous systems were where they could tell range, but they didn't have the ability to do single Doppler measurements. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are going to start to fold in in the next uh, couple of years or so. And obviously, you know, you have a lot of startups in that space. You have under who we're partnered with. Uh, we have our own imaging radar solutions uh, as well as, uh, uh, you know, Bay is obviously the, the one publicly traded company that's not, amongst the, the chip makers that I, that I talked about that's also in that space. So uh-huh. okay. uh, it's, it's exciting. Uh, you know, to your question, are we there yet? It depends on what the question is that we're there yet to. Like that's sure. how I put it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. And, and glad to hear that we are. In, in many respects, we are there. We are seeing some of those technologies, um, you know, in the, the consumer markets today, but uh, still a lot more potential from the technologies uh, as you shared and and expect to see those within the next few years. So that's, that's great to hear. Um, well, Nathan, you, you talked a little bit and, and appreciated you touching on on some of the advantages of, of the radar uh, technologies and, um, you know, some of the, the solutions that they'll provide and that we'll start seeing over the next few years. Um, we're, we're all very familiar, you know, with with LiDAR technology and and some of the applications uh, that we're already seeing within automotive. Would, would love, if, if you don't mind, to, to maybe um, clarify a little bit some of the differences between LiDAR and, and, and the radar technology, specifically some of the advantages, uh, which I know there's a number of, of, of radar technology technologies specifically within automotive. Would you mind maybe touching on that a little bit for us? Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of LiDAR companies that have gone public in the last year, thanks to the the, the booming SPAC market. Um, and most of them are pre-revenue, although we're starting to see some of the kind of uh, longer, longer living, uh, uh, 
you know, players in that space like Belladyne that are actually starting to produce a fairly good amount of revenue and they're shipping a good amount of product at this point. I think, I think like the, you know, with LiDAR and radar, I mean, the key difference is, uh, you know, obviously wavelength, right? And with LiDAR, um, you know, the, because it's a laser, uh, obviously it has bigger issues with weather. Uh, there's limitations due to eye safety in terms of how much power output they can put in a lot of contexts. And there's even been reports of them damaging electronics in some senses uh, that don't have the proper filters at, at certain wavelengths and also uh, you know, human eye safety as well. So um, there's some limitations there. I think, I think weather, though, is probably the biggest uh, uh, challenge that LiDAR has. Some of the newer systems that are what's called FMCW, Frequency Modulated Continuous Wave, where they're actually uh, uh, you know, changing the wavelength of the laser uh, mid-pulse, intra-pulse, they're modulating it. Mm -hmm. um, those ones are slightly more robust to weather, but you know, still fundamentally uh, there's, there's some wavelength issues and LiDAR is going to have challenges in heavy rain, uh, dust, sand, um, and uh, uh, which you, know, you get in desert contexts and also uh, fog, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, what LiDAR really does provide, though, is really – you know, these, you see these eye-watering pictures of just, you know, tremendously high density, you know, resolution point clouds, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the other issues that LiDAR is going to have, uh, you know, as it, as it goes from kind of the lab to implementation, they put out a tremendous amount of data that a processor has to deal with. That, that processing requires power. Um, you know, there's not all LiDARs can actually provide Doppler resolution, which means you need multiple pictures, which... To, to actually interpolate how fast something is moving. Mm -hmm. uh, as to most radars today can actually give you Doppler resolution. Um, and then and then I think robustness is a big one that probably doesn't get a lot of discussion. But what we've heard from some of our AV trucking customers is that a lot of the, at least the early radar prototypes, you have to replace them every 10,000 miles, uh, which is a pretty high breakdown rate and a lot of downtime for them. So I think because of robustness, some of the field of view integration issues and just the fact that like a LIDAR needs to have, uh, it has different field of view concerns than a, um, than a radar does. And just like the, the general comfort of the OEMs with integrating this thing, uh, mm -hmm. it's going to be a while before they scale them. I mean, I know like Luminar is, I think saying they may be in some Volvo models as early as 2024, but, and, and I think, uh, I talked to someone at uh, Faraday that said that they were integrating a, a Belladine LiDAR for parking assist. Hmm. Uh, but in general, uh, we're gonna, it's going to be kind of few and far between that we're going to see LiDARs going to the space. And then the other issue, frankly, is cost, right? Like most of these LiDARs cost thousands of dollars a unit. With the radars that cost targets usually hundreds of dollars a unit, and that's a big gap that needs to be bridged. So even though they can provide you know, better performance in a lot of contexts, I think that radar is uh, going to be around for quite a while. Uh, and it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be an anchor sensor uh, of, the, of the, you know, semi-autonomous and, and ADAS stack. And as we go into AV, it'll still, still be there. And even players uh, like, you know, we, we've started to see like Mobileye and others lay out their vision for uh, uh, where they think AV is going to go at a scalable context for like you know the car sitting in your driveway as opposed to a robo taxi mm -hmm. and you know they're talking about one forward facing lidar and six radars right mm -hmm. so I think, I think that like you know lidar certainly has a place in the stack i don't want to exclude it entirely but i mm -hmm. think that, that radar is going to be you know in sold in much higher units and it's going to have a lot more different contexts and modes than lidar does got it yep
You touched on this a little bit, but would love to learn a little bit more um, with with the many advantages uh, that that radar technology has, the cost advantage, as you shared as well. Why why haven't we seen um, radar technology, uh, you know, for example, within automotive um, by now? What have been some of the challenges within the development of the technology and integration into to commercial applications? Sounds like there there's so many advantages. Um, you know, cost being being one of the major advantages. So, would love to learn a little bit more about what some of the obstacles have have been and the way that, that you and others now are overcoming some of these and, and starting to move this technology into the market? Yeah, I mean, I would say that at this point, radar is pretty ubiquitous on your passenger vehicles. The majority of passenger vehicles in this model year will have some form of radar, either for parking assist, lane keeping, or automated emergency braking. Uh, if you go up to somebody's bumper or the side of their car and you see these little rectangles that are kind of cut out, that's a radar, yeah. right? That's the the cutout for the radar to go into that into that bumper or or you know side fender or whatever, yeah. uh, and and also in a trucking context, I mean you know systems like Bendix Wingman and stuff are ubiquitous uh, in the Class A trucking arena, mm-hmm. uh, and they're becoming pretty standard. And so you're going to see tens of millions of radars sold this model year. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, it, this is because the OEMs have become comfortable with it. Frankly, the systems don't draw a lot of power. Most of these radars are a few watts, and so mm-hmm. they don't require independent circuits like you know, many of the LIDARs do uh, to run off of them. And, uh, you know, it, it provides information that the, uh, the ECU, the electronic control unit developers that go into the brains of the car have become comfortable with over time thanks to the rise of standards like you know, uh, uh, you know, standard Ross format that came out of Carnegie Mellon a, a, a decade plus ago, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's been you know pretty well incorporated into a lot of the ISO and ASME standards at this point. Yep. Yep. Good to hear. Good to hear. It's it's happening now, um, as you shared, and and more to come over the next couple of years. So um, I know we'll we'll all benefit from from those technologies. Uh, we we've talked a lot about automotive, and it's it's an area that I'm especially uh, interested in. And I know a radar technology uh, today and and over the next few years has so many applications in this area. But I understand radar technology and and even Spartan radar are are working on a number of other uh, applications and in, in areas outside of of automotive. Would you mind touching on on some of those other areas uh, that offer potential? as well for, for integration of the, the radar technology? Well, I think you're going to see commercial radar proliferate in a number of different contexts. I mean, one that we haven't touched on here that's actually going to be very ubiquitous is in-cabin radar, mm-hmm. in cars, trucks, buses, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, cameras require a lot of uh, processing power and complex machine learning algorithms to recognize that's a person, that's a bag, etc. Whereas radars are able to take advantage of uh, secondary kinetics in order to do this. Um, so you're going to start seeing radars in cabin, on buses, on trains, et cetera, to tell is there somebody sitting in that seat, is somebody not sitting in that seat, is somebody, you know, hitching a ride that shouldn't be, uh, intrusion systems uh, uh, for, you know, security uh, is, is another area, uh, presence detection in, in elevators and things okay. like that are becoming pretty uh, ubiquitous. We've talked to, you know, CDIS, who makes elevators and a number of others about how to wait, integrate radars. Um, and then, you know, you're also going to see them on drones, uh, particularly as we start to get beyond line of sight drones. You're going to see radar become pretty ubiquitous. And there's some companies that are specifically uh, uh, focused on that, like Fordham and Echodyne. Uh, here at Spartan, uh, we kind of take a platform agnostic approach, though we're you know 99% focused on uh, automotive. Um, you know, our, our software makes everybody's radars better. 
Right. Uh, we enhance the resolution. We add new capabilities. We allow them to switch between modes seamlessly without intervention by the user uh, so that they can pick out more out of the radar picture than they would just using it the traditional out-of-the-box way. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I see it as a ubiquitous sensor um, kind of taking a step back to 50,000 feet. I think as IoT starts to proliferate, uh, you're going to see just billions of devices with active sensors, uh, if not tens of billions or hundreds of billions that are going to be uh, become prolific in our lives um, for things like, um, you know, so, so you imagine like a convalescent home, uh, they want to have ways that they can monitor, you know, they want patients to have full autonomy and not have to be babysitted, but they want to know, did somebody fall down? Well, you're seeing 60 gigahertz radars being marketed that can do that. They can tell you, hey, this person's vital signs are, are flailing, they've fallen, et cetera, and then, then immediately alert someone. So that's like one specific like kind of use case that's relevant to me because I have elderly relatives. Um, you know, I think I think uh, the, I listened to a talk from the head of uh, NVIDIA about four years ago in a DARPA conference and uh, or the CTO of NVIDIA. And he, he made the point, he said that, um, we're in kind of this power law scaling of the number of like electronic devices in our lives. If we went back to 1850, there was a thousand telegraphs in the, the world at that point, the thousand wow. telegraph stations. Okay. By 1900, you had a million phones, right? Mm -hmm. By uh, you know 1950, that had grown to a hundred million phones. They were ubiquitous. They were in everybody's house. By 1980, you know, you had a billion you know, computers, phones, et cetera. Uh, by, by 2000, we had 10 billion, uh, you know, cell phones, phones, computers, devices, right? And what we're going to see is by 2030 that with the proliferation of IoT, that's going to go to a trillion devices, right? Yeah, so imagine a trillion intelligent devices collecting data on everything from, you know, pi how pipelines are working in remote locations to weather, to uh, you know, security to you know, biometrics on you. Uh, there was recently a cover story in Stanford Magazine talking about one of the scientists, one of the professors there, is the most measured man in the world. He's taking fifty biometric readings on himself continuously every day with all the devices he has on them. With this ubiquity, you're going to see more and more of these devices proliferate, and the TAM is just the, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I mean, and that's just. You know, before we start to talk about terrestrial and go to extraterrestrial applications and stuff, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, we're going to have, you know, uh, by the time it's my time to go, there's going to be a thousand times more computer devices swarming around than there are people on Earth. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. That is. That is. Wow. Wow. It's amazing to think about. Wow. Um Really interesting story of, of Spartan Radar, and 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 you touch a little bit on some of the the aerospace and technology um, development uh, experience that that you and your team have, and just a, a, an extremely impressive team uh, behind Spartan Radar. And as I understand, a, a company that kind of came out of, of of the pandemic here over the last few years um, would would love, uh, if you don't mind, uh, to share with audience members a little bit about the the origin of of Spartan Radar and and um, you know the journey uh, yourself um, that that you took into uh, starting the company. Yeah, so um, I started. I got into startups uh, after about 16 years in aerospace and defense. I uh, I had some friends that were pretty prolific in the VC and startup space that I knew from college, but 
I never made that plunge myself. I was a, a radar systems engineer and a space systems engineer. I worked payloads and and uh, fire control radars and missiles and things like that for Raytheon first for about 10 years and then Boeing for five years. Um, and But during that time, I mean, I, I worked on, you know, weather satellites. I worked on uh, the radar that's in the F-15, the F-18, uh, various weapons programs, uh, you know, Patriot, you name it, like just, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, yeah. um, so I got really good exposure to kind of sensors in general, but went deep into, into radar. Mm -hmm. um, in that time and about uh, radar and electronic warfare and about uh, five years ago uh, I, I had a friend from college who I kept in touch with Joe Lonsdale who I think is now one of your fellow Texans mm -hmm. and, and he reached out to me and said hey we're interested in doing a defense vertical do you have any ideas and you know long story short I hooked up with a couple of people I'd worked with at Raytheon and we came up with a way to do uh, EMP, uh, use electromagnetic pulse uh, to kill drones using affordable solid state phase array technology. And that turned into a startup called Eporus. I was the founding CEO of that for a couple of years, uh, ran it uh, from about you know, three people on rented desks to 35 employees in a 30,000 square foot warehouse with a couple million in, in you know, contracts lined up. Uh, with the pandemic, four kids at home, took a step back from that. Um, and in that time, I had uh, Theogenes Abatsoglu, who's one of our chief technologists, who is our chief technologist and my co-founder here at Spartan, approach me. And, and uh, Theogenes was a, a longtime mentor of mine. Uh, I'd worked with him at Raytheon for years. And he's a uh, probably one of the biggest experts in the world of, of implementation of, of two types of signal processing. One is compressive sensing, which is you know, how basically you can uh, drive useful data out of undersampled systems. Uh, just a lot in optics. Uh, the math on it's pretty new. <laughs> it was really only kind of like, you know, Paul Erdish was writing papers on it in the 70s and 80s. Um, and then uh, the other one is super resolution, which is a, a technique of, of basically advanced beam forming techniques that allow you to go beyond kind of conventional beam forming, uh, which is, you know, how you are able to discriminate different points in a scene. You have to take all these multiple inputs and, and do some signal processing and then you get an output on it. Uh, so the just came to me and he said, I've got a, uh, uh, Nathan, I've developed a way to, uh, to be able to increase the resolution of an automotive radar by about five X with a quarter of the parts. Wow. Said, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So I uh, first, realized that I know a lot about radar in general and from a defense context, but I was largely ignorant of what was going on at the with the autonomous vehicle industry and, and kind of ADS systems beyond what I read in the news, right? Mm -hmm. So I needed an expert, so I reached out to my co-founder, Blake Gaska, was referred to me by another friend from Stanford uh, who had worked with him. And uh, Blake had done a couple of startups in the space and kind of, you know, he's an encyclopedia of connections in the space. I mean, you literally you know, could, could go three deep in any of these companies and he can tell you, Oh yeah, I went to that kid's bar. I, I went to his kid's bot mitzvah. Like mm. you know, he just wow. knows everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, and so really good ear to what was going on in the space. And he looked at what we were doing and said, well, you know, this could definitely be a great play because um, you know, right now there's a pivot to trucking and logistics and mining and industrial applications rather than robo taxis. And most of those, 
those systems are, are not interested in LIDAR. So they're not robust enough for what they need to do. Um, and they're not there yet. So if there's a way to take the existing radars and get more performance and meet more requirements with them just through software, that would be great. Okay. Uh, then I brought in our CTO, Tyler Rather, uh, who I've known for 15 years. Like we went to each other's weddings and uh, he was actually my wife's uh, uh, TA for electronics, uh, uh, like electronics 301 or something. One of these analog circuit courses at SC. Yeah. So we go way wow. back. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, brought him in as CTO because he was an experienced aerospace manager and he spoke fluent theogenous where I was. A lot of this math I understand it about this deep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he mm -hmm. understood it all the way down. Sure. Uh, with that, we and we had another guy named Joe Zhu who came along for the ride uh, initially, who'd worked with the Ogenus at Honeywell, and uh, that was kind of how the team kicked off. Uh, we raised an initial five million dollar seed. Well, I, I I seeded the company with some of my own funds uh, to kind of get us started, and then we ended up raising a five million dollar seed. Uh, from Prime Movers Lab, 8VC, and MacVC in November of 20. Uh, and then since then, we've grown to about 50 employees. Uh, and uh, we have our first couple of partnerships and contracts that have come out uh, publicly. So, Great. Uh, and, and, you know, we have some, some prototypes that are moving to, to market, uh, you know, uh, minimum marketable products right now that are going to be coming out soon. And we've started to release those. And, okay. uh, you know, we've just built a phenomenal team here. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like it. No, very, very impressive team and excited. You touched on too to some of the things, the prototype work that you're doing now and, and some of the new partners that you've secured. Uh, would love to learn a little bit more about that. You know, what 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 are you working on, you know, now, Nathan, as you look into, um, you know, 2022 and, and finishing the remainder of the year? Would love to learn a little bit more about what are some of the exciting projects that you're in, involved in now and, and goals that you have for the remainder of the year? Yeah, so we have a couple of uh, uh, things going on. Uh, yeah. Primarily, the focus of the company, as I said before, is on making automotive radar smarter through better software. Uh, yep. This is an insight that came out of defense about 30 or 40 years ago. A lot of the radars that we were building in defense looked a lot like the automotive radars we have today. They're single function. They do one thing all the time. They have to be manually changed from one or the other. They're pretty restricted. And uh, what happened is, is when we moved from mechanically scanned arrays, where you have a gimbal dish that's scanning the sky looking for targets, mm -hmm. to electronically scanned arrays, there was a realization that that allowed you to do multiple functions at the same time. So you start mm -hmm. to see the proliferation of software-defined multifunction arrays and sensors. Um, and that led to kind of the, the emergence of modes, where a mode is basically an app, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind mm -hmm. of the best way to think about it. Um, the proliferation of modes is sort of an independent uh, discipline within radar systems engineering and design, right? So when yep. you look at like the F-22 uh, or the F-35 or, you know, Joint Stars or any of these kind of high-end airborne, you know, e either fire control or intelligence surveillance reconnaissance systems, the radars have, you know, 10 plus, if not 20 plus modes. Mm -hmm. And they're able to do air to air functions, air to ground functions, et cetera, as opposed to these automotive radars where they really only do one thing at a time. Yeah. So uh, we, you know, we've added this adaptive resource management, this multi-mode mentality, and bringing along with it a software stack that allows us to take the resolution that we're getting out of these uh, out of a radar that's you know built for fifty to one hundred dollars and increase it by three x to five x without new hardware. Wow. Right. 
So that's kind of our key technology. We call that Augo, which is our software stack. Mm -hmm. And it's a combination of both the super resolution, uh, which can increase the resolution by three to five X, depending on the radar and the context, Mm -hmm. along with uh, adaptive resource management and sort of a, a, a software platform that allows you to add new modes and capabilities over time. That's our primary product. That's what we're partnering with Underon. Okay. Uh, to put onto their, uh, I think it's we're putting on their icon and their rocket radars mm-hmm. uh, right now, and uh, trying to help them, uh, and you know, working with them to to get these on trucking platforms to really enhance the reliability in the near term. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other product we have, we do have an aftermarket product that's our foray into the hardware space called Hoplo. Okay. And uh, Hoplo is a, um, uh, it, it's a it's a low performance non imaging radar. Uh, that has a couple of key discriminators versus other things on the market. Um, it's really meant for things like, you know, a backup, a backup radar on a trash truck mm. or a, uh, a side looking radar on a delivery truck so that it has, you know, better uh, blind spot warning detection. It's really meant for, you know, these trucks that have been fleet for 10 years and they need to upgrade their safety systems, right? Sure. Uh, you know, inserting an Bendix wingman, for example, for better blind spot detection and, and lane collision warning. Nice. Um, and Hoplo, Hoplo is, uh, uh, we're in B samples on that now, and we're reaching out with some current customers. And that's a 77 gigahertz uh, you know, radar that I wish I had a, I, I wish I had a model of it. It's, it's not much bigger than this charger I'm holding in my hand right now. Wow. Uh, and that one we're going to be rolling out. Uh, we all actually have agreements with a few customers. So we'll be rolling it out later in the year. Okay. Very good. Congratulations. Yeah. How exciting. Wow. Thank you. And then we also have an imaging radar called Doro, which is meant for really high-end customers like mining, trucking, where they really need the resolution and the range. Um, and those are also in B samples as well. Okay. Very good. Very good. Exciting. Moving, moving quick. Yeah. Very good. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, talked about the team a little bit, some of the partners, uh, as you just shared, um, that, that you've aligned with. Um, you know, I like to always provide an opportunity, um, marketscale.com, premier business-to-business platform. Um, a lot of the leading companies in over 16 different industries every day are looking for new partners and um, technology collaboration. Are, are there any any needs that you have? And, and again, in recognition, of course, of your very impressive team and the partners that you've secured already, but as viewers out there, you know, from some of the leading companies uh, with in technology, view the podcast. I know they're going to be excited about the work that you're doing in Spartan Radar and lots of opportunities for collaboration. Are there any major needs that you have right now or, you know, in terms of technology or partners or kind of aligning yourself with others within the industry? Yeah, we're looking for people who have uh, existing radar platforms that mm-hmm. are looking to enhance their performance. And we'd mm-hmm. love to talk to you about how we can take our software stack mm-hmm. and help you uh, you know, get an extra year or two of, uh, you know, of productive, uh, uh, you know, of production out of, out of your existing radar, you know, mm-hmm. and how we can, you know, uh, increase the resolution and reduce the false alarms and, and open up new feature sets uh, by adding our software to your radar for a very modest charge. Very good. Very good. Best way to, to, to reach you and, and Spartan Raider. What, what do you, what do you recommend as far as them, them reaching out and, and exploring opportunities to work together? Yeah. Get, get a hold of our sales team. You can go to the website, SpartanRadar.com, or you can get uh, talk to, um, uh, you know, you can reach out to Cameron Guida. It's Cameron at SpartanRadar.com uh, or on the Hoplo side, the aftermarket side to Tressa Presby, who's, you know, Teresa with no H uh, at SpartanRadar.com. 
and uh, they can they can hook you up with uh, you know a, a sales call. Yeah, very good, they, perfect. Uh, well, please expect that. I know there's going to be some individuals and organizations out there that view the podcast here, and uh, we'll be excited for the opportunity to work with Spartan Radar. So really appreciate uh, you mentioning that. Uh, again, I always like to provide an opportunity, and, and you've done such a great job already, Nathan, of, of sharing some of the the um, companies uh, that, that you're collaborating with. Um, I'd like to always provide an opportunity, again, if there's any um, organizations, institutions of, of higher education, individuals, or anything that you'd like to you know recognize uh, within the interview today. Um, and again, um, you know, being featured, uh, of course, Apple, Spotify, and uh, and podcast, Apple Podcast, and and the platform, of course, MarketScale.com. A lot of business to business companies out there. Um, any anyone else that you, that you'd like to you know recognize in terms of companies uh, that you that you partner with or are working with? Yeah, well, right now we're on um, the as part of the Ripple uh, effort with the Consumer Tech Tech Association. We have a seat on the board for some of the ISO stand, for some of the new uh, uh, testing standards that are coming out. Uh, we also uh, you know, Robert Brown, who's our chief strategy officer, came from Too Simple, pretty well known in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know him, uh, yep. Grant. He uh, uh, is a board member of the Heavy Duty Manufacturers Association, uh, so we partner with them. And then uh, our executive advisory board. Uh, you know, we've got Zoha Wong, who's senior vice president of, of Too Simple, so that gets our foot in autonomy and some good understanding there. Uh, Eric Fuller, who's the CEO of US Express, gives us some good. Uh, um, Oh, you know, end customer uh, expertise in the trucking sector and insight there. And then also Ken Kroger from Seeing Machines, who has a lot of experience with, you know, these licensing plays and also is, is providing a lot of uh, insight on the in-cabin stuff. And and uh, we also, you know, like I mentioned, we have a co-sale agreement with Under uh, in partnership and we're working with them on, on rolling out uh, their radar into the trucking space with our software. Uh, we also work with a number of university, uh, you know, uh, uh, professors uh, on, on proliferating their technology at, you know, for example, University of Alabama, UC Santa Cruz, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. So I just want to thank them. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Well, we, we we've talked a lot about automotive today, and and I know Spartan uh, Radar very much focused on on the automotive application, in addition to some of the other areas um, that you're exploring as well. So, might just throw out a, a fun question, if, if if you don't mind, Nathan. Uh, do you do you have a, a dream car or a, a car that you're driving now that you especially like? I always like to learn a little bit more about uh, guests' uh, car tastes. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I took my uh, uh, my uncle Bob's advice, so I drive a ten year old Japanese car. I've got a, uh-huh. you, know, uh-huh. a Camry, but, you know, I've got four kids, so they they'll wreck anything I have. But yes. uh, probably the next upgrade, realistically for me, is probably to like a suburban or some full size SUV, so that I can haul all those kids around. Absolutely. Um, you know, if, if I had my druthers, I'd probably. Uh, be looking at like an RS6, like Theogenes drives or something like that. Uh, nice. Something with a little bit more horsepower, a little more zip. Yeah. Uh, he's really the car guy. Actually, it's kind of funny. He's he's the most humble human being in the world and not assuming with everything except for his car. Okay. And, okay. Uh, our, our firmware uh, lead, Yassine, and him, uh, he, he walks in one day and, and Yassine drives a, uh, what is that, an S5 or something? And he says, how much horsepower does your S5 have? And he says, oh, it's about 350. And the audience goes, that's nice. I just put a chip in my RS6. It has 550. I'll uh-huh. be you in the track, right? And he just thought that was all he said. Yeah. Uh, 
and it was so you know he's he's really the car guy here and then i think blake yeah. has a model three tesla as well my cro nice. but yeah uh, yeah you know i uh pro, like like i said i i my main interest is in making these vehicles safer and saving lives yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. And it sounds like great advice from your uncle Bob as well. So I think, uh, you know, holding to his advice there will treat you well in the long run. And uh, I'm with you. I know we talked a little bit before the interview today, but uh, have a family myself and, and it's all about being practical. And uh, I tell you, we made the made a move to the minivan. Uh, so we're, we're rocking a Honda Odyssey these days have. and it's, it's been kind of a game changer. So yeah, we, uh, we're enjoying that very much. So well, very good. Well, Nathan, I, I just want you to know how much I've really appreciated our, and, and enjoyed our conversation today. I've been really excited to get to speak with you and, and to learn a little bit more about Spartan Radar and just uh, so excited about, about the work that you're doing. I know that uh, you already are, and over the next few years, we'll just continue to really disrupt the, the industry. And ultimately, this is, you know, everything that we're talking about, you know, really kind of within that overall theme of, of making vehicles uh, more safer and uh, for everyone out there. So we really appreciate uh, the cause uh, and uh, that your organization is working very hard and all of the work that you you've done already within the industry so really appreciate you and spartan radars a time today and and wish you certainly the best of luck uh, within all the exciting projects uh, that you're working uh, on and uh, audience members you you heard it from nathan please reach out uh, with any interest in collaboration so please expect that to be coming in uh, as well nathan but again thank you so much for your time today and, and wish you and spartan radar the, the best of luck yeah thank you very much grant it was great to be on the show thank you